0: Hi, welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm Jason Stockwell and this show is about robotics. So Inside the Hive focuses on three things, stories, startups, and people. This week we're joined by a robotics expert. His name's Arthur Amara. He's founded a company called Aeon Squared. Arthur's in a very lucky position where he's combined his passion, which is skydiving, with robotics. That sounds really rock and roll, it's not teaching robots to skydive, it is using robotics products to help assist skydivers. So he hand-builds all his products himself and the parts to go with it. So it was really interesting to sit down with him and talk about his processes. Hi Arthur, how are you doing? Good, thanks, yeah. And can you tell the listeners what you're here to chat about today?
1: Um, So today I'm going to talk about uh, how I got into robotics and uh, my company Aeon Squared. And then I'm also going to discuss a bit about how I think robotics will have a wider impact on our society.
0: I'm really looking forward to cracking on. So first question, what was your first experience with robotics?
1: Um, I, in around 2011, I actually found on Maplin a USB robotic arm for 30 pounds. So it was a toy robotic arm. Um, I just bought it out of interest and uh, at some point during that year uh, I was just doing some chores and I managed to break my wrist by trying you know a heavy object falling on my hand and back then I was actually doing um, playing on the PlayStation for fun and I couldn't do that because I had a cast on my arm so I'm thinking I saw the robotic arm on the shelf and said hmm I should really assemble that now and that was actually That that took me a couple of weeks, writing some Python code and doing some programming and training on my voice. And I finally made it to follow my voice commands. So I published a video on YouTube with some tutorials and it actually got very popular. So I got 30,000 views in that video. And when I followed it up with a Raspberry Pi version, because the Raspberry Pi just came out in 2012, uh, the Raspberry Pi Foundation actually showed that video on their blog. So, that shot up the views to 100,000 views, mm-hmm. and pretty much that was the start of my uh, work with robotics. Um, oh, wow. Prior to that, I've actually been very interested in, in computer programming all my life. So, I, my mother bought a computer um, when I was five years old, and I've been interested in computers ever since. So, that robotic arm video in 2012 with the Raspberry Pi, um, yeah, just made me have fun with it and I followed it up again yeah. um, a couple of months later. I built a robotic car with night vision. Oh wow.
0: How did you build that? Was it from
1: scratch? So I actually took a a Playstation Eye camera, so one of those cheap webcams from the Playstation. Um, I got it for £5 from, from second hand. And then I disassembled it and took out the infrared filter because that filter uh, makes the colors look right. It filters out infrared rays. But if I remove it, I could then use an infrared LED to illuminate the darkness, but that's not visible to the human eye. So which means, to me, everything looked pitch black, but on my little screen showing the view of the robot, it showed it was lit up. So, I did that, and I actually published another video, and the Raspberry Pi Foundation actually picked that up again. And it was, I guess if I continued down that road, I could have been one of those um, YouTube channels doing all these kinds of things, but I actually did not continue that. I actually um, did started doing something else, which was skydiving. Um, but these things still actually interest me massively.
0: <laughs> so after you became a YouTube celebrity, how did you get into building altimeters?
1: So I was doing the, um, so the robot and publishing the videos. And then I just discovered there was an entire community of hobbyists uh, centered around Arduino makers. And I started actually hanging out with them. And one day I saw somebody with this colorful LED ring. Um, and I that oh, that looks really nice. I want to make something out of it, so I bought a heart rate sensor and started building like uh, something that would display my heart rate in a visual way. Uh, I got sidetracked from that because it didn't work. Um, there was some issue with the microcontroller I was using, so I started looking around my pile of electronics and saw, oh, I have a barometer. Um, um, an electronic barometer. So why don't I make an altimeter? And during that year, I actually just started skydiving. So I was stud- I was taking my skydiving course to get licensed. So I said, okay, I'm gonna build one altimeter. Um, I built it, made it look as cool as as possible. It looked really cool with LEDs and lights. Yeah. And then I asked for permission in my drop zone to jump it. And I was wearing it around the drop zone, and then somebody approached me. One of my friends, he told me, that looks really nice. Um, what's that? And I said, this is my altimeter. And then he told me, how much for it? And I said, uh, this is mine. You know, it's not for sale, so, so sorry. And he said, no, how much do you want for it? And I said, okay, I'll get back to you. You know, I'll, I'll try to make it more user-friendly and I'll get back to you and see if I can, if I can, I can make one for you. And that's actually how a squared started. Mm-hmm. I started making altimeters and people said, okay, oh, that's really interesting, I want to buy one. And then I took up the challenge of making it user-friendly and making it improving better and better. And before I knew it, I, I had built dozens of altimeters and I said, well, I really should spin this off into a company. So I left my job in Airbus and
0: um, went into building altimeters full-time. You're a lot braver than me, so how many skydives had you done at the time?
1: Um, Back then, uh, I only, well, when I actually started selling them, I only had like 50 skydives, but I kept iterating it over like the next year or so, and by the time I went full-time, I had
0: about 200 skydives. You must consider yourself really lucky to be able to do skydives to test your products.
1: Yeah, so that was actually the good thing about it, is that I could test them and have fun at the same time.
0: So when did you start Aeon Squared full time?
1: Um, I started full time in December 2016, so it's now 2019, so two and a half years more,
0: a bit more than two and a half years. And what would you say Aeon Squared's biggest successes are so far?
1: So, when when I started full-time, I decided, okay, the market has been really stagnant. Um, The incumbent companies hadn't released a new product in the past 17 years. And in that period, you know, we've had microcontroller, we've had lithium-ion batteries. So, I said, okay, I'm going to make a really new altimeter and make it really low cost. And I launched it in 2017. And I've actually managed to ship two and a half thousand units of those all over the world. So now those altimeters uh, those are being used in everywhere from Australia to South America to Israel and South Africa. Of course the UK and the US and it's all being done
0: here. So are you the only smart altimeter builder in the company?
1: I am the only yes. So this has been a one-man operation since the beginning. Um, last year, I managed to get uh, two interns with the Bristol um, internship program. So Ramon and Joe, and they've actually helped me over the summer holiday. Um, unfortunately, they had to go back to university um, in you know in autumn. But this summer, Joe has come back and helped me again with some more code. But the rest of the time, it's just me.
0: And what's the next step for Aeon Square? Are you going after investment or are you looking at moving to more extreme sports where they also use altitude like mountain biking or skiing? Or are you staying in skydiving and working on another product development?
1: Yes, yeah, so actually what's what's coming up next will be a, a combination of all of that. So I'm trying to scale up, but I'm trying to scale up in a smart way. I'm actually going to use robotics to be able to scale, scale up. So I've actually built a robot that does the programming of the Brilliant Pebble 16 at a time, because I got tired of actually doing them one by one. And then um, I will build more robotics to actually automate more of the manufacturing process. Um, At the same time, I'm also going to try to aim for other sports besides skydiving. Um, That means going after paragliding. Paragliding is an obvious uh, application of the technologies I developed for skydiving. And then possibly yeah, in other things like snow sports, mountain biking, but that's probably further in the future. However, yes, all this growth will also be quite difficult so I'm actually more and more seriously considering going for investment. Um, we met with some investors last year but that didn't pan out and I guess we probably need to prove more of the market. So I'm, I'm still heavily in, in product R&D before I can actually go back to an investor and present to them a much more workable uh, yeah. workable company.
0: So what other projects in Aeon Square are you working on?
1: Um, within Aeon Square, there are different projects. So the Brilliant Pebbles is one product, uh, the Audible Ultimeter, and then I've actually started a very ambitious product called the X2 and it's like, a, it's like a smartphone in its complexity. It has a big color screen, it has GPS, Bluetooth, um, it syncs with a phone. So the complexity of that was really quite challenging and I'm actually still working on that. But at, at the same time, yeah, the internal projects, I'm building robotics to actually automate the manufacturing. Um, I am trying to look at other technologies as well. So. One of the keys is I always keep my eye out on the new emerging technologies. So the robotics I'm going to be doing will also be utilizing, say, the latest neural network libraries um, coming from Google. Um, And then whatever new microchips are coming out, I always test them out and um, consider uh, how to improve my product line.
0: So what is the X2 so, yeah, it's a... It's, uh, Is it another altimeter?
1: Yes, it's another altimeter. So, when, when you see those analog dials, they're actually still being used, analog dial altimeters. Um, those are to, are to the X2 as traditional phones or to smartphones. So, the X2 um, not only tells you altitude, but it also tells you GPS, um, your speed, your descent rate you're heading in direction to the landing area and a lot more data it actually records your flight path as well um, while you're going through the air so you can download it later and view it on google earth um, on your phone people call it a smart altimeter or but i call it like a a flight computer so that's that's what the x2 is it's not just an altimeter it's a flight computer
0: Uh, because there's that much detail
1: exactly so if can calculate you, for example, um, how much offset you are from your target, which means if you land, how far you off you will be. It's actually served me well because um, I actually flew in, into a cloud. In, so I was inside a cloud for like one and a half minutes yeah. and I could not see anything in front of me. But I followed my, um, my X2 and I actually emerged from the cloud directly over the landing area.
0: And if you didn't have the X2?
1: I would have landed
0: a mile away. (laughs) (laughs) I guess this is great R&D from your own experience.
1: My own experience actually helped me in that one. Um, Because, yeah, uh, I actually deployed my my parachute um, about a mile and a half from the drop zone. And since I was in cloud, I did not know which way to go. But the X2 guided me there, and I emerged from the cloud. I was right over where I wanted to be. If I actually followed my current uh, my current path, I would have ended up maybe point eight miles from the actual landing area,
0: which would have been a long walk. Yeah, that's quite a distance when you think about you carrying all your stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I and I actually have the record of my of my flight path um, in my phone. Yeah, because the X Two also oh, enabled course, me to yeah. to do that. So which means yeah, I can actually play it back. And although at the time I could not see where I was going I was just following the directions
0: so yeah it, it,
1: it proved to me that you know my product actually works
0: yeah. <laughs> you must have got a huge sense of pride
1: it was yeah, yeah, yeah I was really really thankful it's like it was actually at that point I was having a lot of doubts because um, there were teething problems with that product um, and you know how iPhones and smartphones have actually increased people's expectations of what a consumer product should be. So with all those teething problems, I was starting to have doubts whether I should continue the X2 um, the X two project. But I had that experience in the cloud and it actually cemented to me that, yes, I really need to continue this because I have to believe in this product. <laughs>
0: it saved me. <laughs> it feels like we could talk about ion Squared all day. If we move on to what you're most excited about in robotics, what are you most looking forward to seeing?
1: My background, as you can probably have told before, is uh, aerospace. So I used to work in Airbus and I did aerospace engineering in university. So the most exciting of robotics for me is drones. So I I believe that drones, as well as electric aircraft, can revolutionize the economy. Um, They are gonna change so many things. So maybe um, deliveries, um, will be made by drone. Um, lots of. Well, we had a company who were inspecting wind turbines by drone. Perceptual robotics. Perceptual robotics, yeah. And they will be able to do a lot more things, like um, beam internet to to uh, remote locations, do search and rescue.
0: Yeah, there will be there will be drone taxis in the future.
1: Wow. Yes, so the air taxi as well. Yeah, so that's. Potential um, application for them. So yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a uh, really big um, Legislation has still a way to go to catch up with the technology, but hopefully um, When when it gets there, then We will be seeing a really big change in how things are done.
0: So will ion Square technology be used in drones?
1: Uh, yes, yes, so Right now, of course, I'm in the consumer sports electronics market, but I'm learning a lot in in how to develop these control systems. For example, like common uh, filters to actually provide state estimation of where a skydiver is is very useful in drone. Um, GPS, of course, um, technology, and really a lot of things like low power, um, low power navigation, and um determining your altitude and also the old the electronics bits so i think i think that will position aeon squared um in a good place um for the drone market later on
0: and what about wider robotics what are you most excited about
1: coming out of robotics i think in the next five to ten years um drone deliveries for example um, right now i buy a lot of things for to Actually, do research and development, and they take a couple of days to, to a few weeks to arrive from different parts of the world. But with drone deliveries revolutionizing the sector, you can see deliveries happening within hours or even within minutes of ordering something, and which means that you can iterate products much quicker, you can actually buy something and use it, you know, much in a much shorter time frame. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I'm really excited about. But there are many things I'm excited about, so, you know.
0: And so where do you see the future of work going?
1: So I, I am heavily involved in robotics, and I'm really excited about it. But at the same time, I'm also concerned about the possible impact it will have on society. For example, people retraining. Not all people will be able to retrain. Um, self-driving cars could actually eliminate a lot of jobs. For example... Um, driving lorries or driving taxis say uh, a person driving a lorry or a taxi can be say 40 to 50 years old but if they lose their jobs they will not be able to retrain um, with a new job that's created for if the new job created is say computational neuroscience that will be very difficult for a 50 year old um, unemployed person to actually retrain as a computational neuroscientist there will be a few that make that transition but if it's even 1% of those people who lose their jobs, I will be very surprised. People should really stop dismissing it as one job created, one job lost, one job created, because we, I do not think we have actually scientific evidence and a scientific model to actually believe in that assertion. Because yeah, um, yeah, people say one job, one job lost, one job created, and they point to past evidence, but we need current evidence and also we need a working model of how to go forward. Um, just pointing to the past and saying it's going to keep happening in the future I think is an
0: insufficient assertion. It's a really interesting point point. we do need to talk about it. So with regards to the discussion that you've mentioned, so who should be responsible for directing these conversations?
1: I think everybody has to talk about it because then it will affect the, um, the national policy um, about about this, you know. So, because I think we have to decouple um, what people do with their ability just to survive, which means, you know, if you really love to do something, um, use money as a carrot rather than a stick. Um, if somebody wants to to be a robotics expert, or you know, then reward them for it, but do not make them homeless if they don't want to do it so it's it's uh because it's gotten to be that unequal now in terms of um benefit and loss if you if you use the game theory example so people who own the robotics and people who actually use robotics um, will benefit uh, a lot more than people who do not own them, so there will be a divide in society, and I think that's going to be a very bad thing. So I think this conversation has to be um, done by everyone. you know And I really think that there everywhere, even lots of people who practice robotics like I do, a lot of them will say, One job will be eliminated, but one job will be created but I do not believe that if you actually sum the total number of jobs in a society, it will remain the same or will be paid the same. So then we have to figure out what is actually the value being created for society and do we have a distribution problem? Do we distribute the wealth generated by a society unequally? And a lot of people would say yes. And then we need to talk about that problem, yeah. The technology will continue going forward and I'm really excited about it. Um, But at the same time, I do not want um, these issues to actually impede the development of the technology. So I'm very much in favor of having the conversation. Even difficult ones, um, people do not like it when you say a robot is gonna take your job They think that it means that their job is repetitive or tedious, but that's really not the case because um, robotics is getting much, artificial intelligence in robotics is getting much, much better. People attaching their self worth to to their job, um, I think, is probably not a good way forward um, if robots are taking them. Yeah. It, it results in maybe deflected blame for example people who don't want to admit that their job has been taken over by automation they might just start to blame minorities or immigrants for that which then causes more friction in society so so people um, especially in my field who say that one job eliminated will lead to the creation of another job they they either have to start backing that up with more hard evidence rather than exp- extrapolating from the past, or they you know they really need to actually consider the alternative, which is we are actually losing jobs and losing um, losing value uh, well losing income to actual robots. Um, just pointing to the past and saying it's going to keep happening in the future, I think, is an insufficient assertion. Um, and we see it everywhere now. Uh, So we will need to actually think more deeply about this.
0: Yeah, we do need to start talking about it now, just because it helps future-proof human happiness, which we're all on board with. We've ultimately got to do what's best for the people. Arthur, it's always fantastic to chat with you. And it's great to hear more about Aeon Squared. I've definitely learned a lot about you and your business today. Thank you, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you very much as well for having me here.
0: So Inside the Hive is a show on Botcast, I've been Jason Stockwell. To listen to more, go to the BotHive website, follow us on SoundCloud or on Spotify. We'll be coming to iTunes soon too. You can follow the BotHive social media accounts on all the socials at WeAreBotHive. Actually, I don't think we're on Snapchat, and I don't think we will be either. Inside the Hive's recorded at Bristol Robotics Lab, Arthur's based there as well. We actually recorded this one outside the Autonomous Vehicles facility, next to the driverless monster truck. If you've got any questions or anything that we can do to improve the show, Just tweet at JJ underscore Stockwell or at WeAreBotHive. We take everything on board. Have a superb week.